Hello dreamers and thinkers and welcome to another episode of Undone. If you haven't listened to episode 3, I highly recommend you pause and go do that right now. If you have listened to episode 3, then you know that this is a continuation from the conversation I started with my dad and Auntie Cora. And you also know that this just does not need an introduction. So I'm going to just get right into it. Um, so on that, is there something that you feel that you did really well? That you just look at and you're like, wow, I pat myself on the back for this one. Resilience is what I, what I would say. I pat myself on the back for that one because they are children are not as fragile as we think although they're sensitive they are not as fragile as we think they are and because i had gone through some experiences i knew that that would not kill them because i hadn't died so (laughs) things like oh children the, the if somebody doesn't do the dishes then there's no dinner that night they just know there's consequences if you don't do things and then they, they're resilient okay we didn't tell mom that there was no groceries so there's no food today as a result what are we going to do and then they they improvise yes mom is not there mom is going to uni there's just the three of us here so sort of though not ideal we just parent each other to the best of what we can within our capacity and they bonded on their own and they and learning money management skills at an early age. I remember the first salary I earned was <laughs> when I, was, I think I actually had year move. So all of it you can you can imagine what do you do with your first salary when you've got a daughter who's possibly I think she was two years, you buy nappies or you waste it and you buy perfume and you realize it's that oops, but they had a different experience. They could start earning as young as twelve. So the worst that they could do is just have a phone bill that's not paid and the phone is cut. That's the worst. So I love that they've managed to have experiences that I didn't have, those life skills that they have. And where I grew up, boys, we've got boys. Boys didn't cook. Boys didn't clean the house. Mm. But now my boys cook, my my boys clean. And in the couch I come out of, girls don't fix cars. And girls, there's things that are stereotypically not for girls. But here, you learn to do what you need to do. So you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, for me, it would be that connection with, the, with our heritage for the kids. Um, always getting their grandparents over um, to have that connection. Um, heading back home every now and again and taking them back. To, to, to the village where it all started and staying there and let them see how things, how we used to do things. Oh. I know they were always telling me, oh, that was your time. Those were your days. But you're trying to show them, look here, this is how I was walking from home to school and back every day, some five, six kilometers away from home, running to school, coming back. And when you come back, there were chores that, you know, you were given responsibility mm. very early age. And I try to instill that as well into my kids as they are growing up. That uh, I remember Kudzai, I think she must have been seven or six, seven, thereabouts, starting to teach her to cook and, you know, mm. preparing simple meals and 
doing those sort of things. And um, that's something that was instilled in me by my mother. Our setting was different from yours, Cora. It's funny that you don't even flinch at saying because I was learning to cook at seven. Other people are listening to you and they're going, seven? protection service is seven years old. They can't even shower and not <laughs> But for you and I, that's just one of those things. Seven, yeah, yeah your husband's perception skills are there. You know how to. Mm. And my mom did this with us as well. We were cooking, both girls and boys. You take turns, mm. prepare dinner. And this was being done back in the village. Mm. There were no chores that were for girls, no chores that were for boys. You would mm. take turns to do everything. Laundry, ironing. Yeah. So that, I grew up in that kind of setting. I didn't want my kids to lose that. Language. To a certain extent, Kudai moved abroad when she was um, three, I think. Three, four. Yeah, three, four. Thereabouts. And one thing that I was always worried about is that loss of your language. But um, lucky enough, we instilled that at home, always speaking in our Shona language at home. Because you know, play areas, they are talking English at school, it's English, speaking in English. And uh, so, yeah, those are things I would say um, I can pat myself on the back and, or pat ourselves on the back. I wasn't alone <laughs> with well the Yay to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually going to say, bar making us walk the distance that you walked to school from Gogo's house, he made us do everything. I remember the first trip, he was like, wake up, guys. This is the time we used to wake up to milk the cows before we went to school. <laughs> Everybody. We don't have to live like that no more. I was like, at 6 a.m., we brought milk. Why, wh what are we going to do after we've been up at 6 a.m.? Like, what am I going to do with all this daylight? But in hindsight, it was a really nice experience, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess this question goes to both of you. How important was culture preservation in your parenting, and how did you enforce it knowing the limitations of your geographical location? So how we try to preserve our culture was surrounding our kids with people of the same culture, so other Zimbabweans, so that, and that helps because in the environment they're in, they're in another environment and we're in one. So we wanted to replicate the environment that they grow up in and those people became their aunties, their grandfathers, and yeah that was really good and the other thing we tried to do it worked for a short while i think six months or so we mr puma a beautiful beautiful loving teacher one of the guys in our community he said he was open to taking the kids uh, for shona lessons and they did that for a while and i didn't realize how powerful that was because when we came here yemu had finished uh, grade seven, she was in high school, so her language skills are intact. The boys, not so much because Shane was six when we moved and Daryl was seven. So just learning and going to write letters to their grandparents in Shona. So they managed to do those language uh, lessons for a short while. And like you were saying, Mustin, but just speaking at home in Shona 
we it became stronger we don't change things that's just how it is and what was the other thing i've got a few family uh, members that live around here so getting together with them time and again and uh cooking in the cooking we try to preserve our culture with food yeah uh, the meals we have and how we cook them we yeah yes we do adopt the western culture but at the end of it it's Taza. so we have Taza yeah. Murillo, Nyama, and then with our african broom so expose them in that way and we didn't have as many opportunities to go back home but we had opportunities to host other family members here so that was really good i, I felt and the grandparents have managed to connect with their kids when they've been here but it's funny how when the grandparents come here i was dying like okay talk to them in our language cook the food that you <laughs> but they're coming here and poor granny she's trying and struggling to string together a paragraph of english That's it. yeah <laughs> she's trying to live up to it and i said they do speak shona can you just speak shona to them because we can't take them to zimbabwe at this point but we can bring you here so can you let's just immerse them in in that so yeah they managed they have an experience with their grandparents that was a way we tried to preserve the culture yeah maybe just to add on to what you've said i think i touched on some of these things when i spoke of um preservation of language and getting grandparents here and heading back home all that was trying to preserve culture um another common thing uh, music the power of music oh, yes yes uh, just yes. playing music whilst you're driving mm -hmm. around you hear the kids repeating the words even without understanding what it means and then wanting to know what does this word mean what it is and mm. they're catching up on the language um the christmas parties that we do here as a that's community, right there's that big gathering kids playing that interaction seeing how parents are interacting as well in that kind of mm -hmm. setting and um actually on various settings you look right like i mean when there's a funeral back home how we meet together to support each other during that difficult time kids are also learning i mean what mm. we do during funerals and what takes place they are there mm. playing with their colleagues but they are getting something out of this kind of gathering that's right yeah and that's such an opportunity i feel like especially the funeral one i take it with all seriousness it deserves that being here the kids are not exposed to as many funerals as we were exposed to that's right it's almost foreign to them and the funerals that they've been to are of a foreign culture so the western grief differently from us they're quite they're composed so i look at it as an opportunity that my kids have been to funerals can you imagine some people who's uh, kids growing up but the first funeral that they ever went to in diaspora with their parents they don't know what to expect and it's their parent that has died so yeah i thank god for that opportunity that they've managed to grieve with other families they they know that you can grieve you can cry however you express your grief 
that are acceptance, there's that common grief, there's that fellowship, there's that just being with somebody without forcing them to feel better. Just yeah. staying with them in that and That's holding right. that space for them. So yeah, I cherish that. I think two things I have on that is that music was such a big thing. Like I remember we used to drive around, I don't know what, what road trips we were taking <laughs> in England. <laughs> but just growing up listening to Oliver Mtukudzi and like when I Alec Macteso and I can't think of anyone else. What was it? Thomas Mavumo. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Mavumo. That's, yeah, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but that was such a big thing because I think even if you don't remember anything, like you will hear a song and there'll be the nostalgia of your childhood. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I remember that. This links to this experience. And it just adds that um, sweetness to it, I guess. As well as the fact that that's probably how I learned most of my shona was listening to. That's right. Because <laughs> when you're singing, you have to, it, it's, it's a speech lesson in its own way. It's not a boring yeah. one. It's a functional speech, speech lesson. So try to teach somebody to say ja. They can't say it, but then if they keep asking you, you know, so what are they saying again? And then they, they're saying ja. So that repetition for somebody, they just learn the language automatically so yeah i love that one and um the second one as well was looking back on it now at the time it made sense but looking back on it i'm like that's such a strange thing um but at the end of last year when we had to go back to zimbabwe for the funeral and the fact that you had to explain to me how we do funerals and to prepare me for the fact that this was going to be different to what i had seen in the western world like i think that's an interesting situation to be in, but it was also beautiful to see that side of our culture that maybe you don't get to see as much. Like, I think the only mm. other time I remember being a part of the Zimbabwean um, funeral, if I can call it that, was when we were still in England and we had people at our house for like a week straight. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. and I remember, <laughs> I think I was like maybe eight. Stephen? what are they doing here somewhere there yeah and i just didn't understand why these people were at our house consistently for a week why we had to feed them it didn't make sense because <laughs> they go away <laughs> yeah but then now it's going through that experience again older i'm like oh it makes so much sense and you get to see the beauty in the culture um the mm. beauty in our culture and just the togetherness but um yeah on to the next question almost done what has helped you the most during this journey? Oh, what has helped me? Do, 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 do. For myself, Just maybe. Viewing, yeah. problem, huh? viewing problems from a different perspective. These problems, you put them in a hat. So when I have problems, I put them in a hat and I sift them through a sieve. And from that, I get third world and first world problems. So on my first world of first world problems are the ones that go through the sieve. Things that are necessary in this environment, but things I go, you know what? I've lived without these things, such as the internet is slow, such as the cars not starting at the right time. I've lived with those things in place and I'm who I am today. So yes, I want a comfortable life, but this is this really a problem? So I challenge myself through that. And then what remains on the top are my third world problems to go, okay, this must be tackled. So in my third world problems, 
I look at them as um, social intervention strategies within my family. So somebody needs school fees and yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Or a family starving, you know, can I ignore those things? I can ignore them, but can I live my conscience? I might be able to, but fast forward 10 years, that situation I've ignored today is going to blow up into something bigger. So I like that I can view my, my challenges through that because, I've, because I know different problems. If, yeah. if, that, if that means anything, that problems are problems, but there's different problems. There's problems that I, I can do something about. There's problems I should do something about. And there's the problems that I don't have to do anything about. It is what it is because my cousin didn't go to school for whatever reason and now can't afford to pay her children's fees. There's nothing I can do to fix that except just empower the next generation yeah. So that the generation that comes now doesn't have to start where we started from. I like to say that when my dad died, I think the village, everybody was thinking that he had had a good debt because he didn't live a single debt on earth. And I remember someone saying, oh, Dure has died and his last cow was slaughtered on his funeral. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's good for him. He probably when his parents died they had a different set of problems something like they hadn't finished paying for this having finished paying for the for his wives and stuff like that <laughs> he left us at a different stage so yeah i love that i'm here i'm going to leave my children at a different stage when i live out of their lives or when they transition into adulthood and my adult family as well, that when I'm going through life, I can look around and I go, okay, who, it's like a, kind of like a stock market. Who is the best investment piece right now in the stock market of my family? This person, yes, invest them, empower them, and they'll empower generations to come. Pick another one, pick another one. As long as I can go, then, yeah, I don't even know how we got to this point, but I think I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I would say uh, my profession um, helped me in a great deal. Like I said, those two subjects I did, and those were during my first years of training, when a reflective practice is drilled into you, that everything that you do, you always have to reflect back what could have been done better, what didn't go well, what you do next time, and that kind of... Um, then the other thing will be, I think, church um, played a big party. You know, when kids are getting into their teenager, teenagehood, and that's when that's difficult time to navigate between parents and kids. And um, I remember the Friday evening youths, at Calvary, and um, you know, where, where you, you're releasing your daughter, you're releasing your child, knowing that they are going to be in a safe um, environment, supervised by loving people, and um, you, you, you're not worried until they ring you to say, we're done, come and pick us. And, <laughs> and um, to me, that played a bigger part in our parenting 
mm-hmm. and navigating through the difficult uh, phases of uh, mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, I would say those yeah. were the, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I really like the, the church one because um, to me, that felt like that was the only constant in my life. True. When I transitioned from Zimbabwe to here, the church, what church has always been church, church remained church. I could trust people and we could sing from the same songbook of parenting. So how I viewed children should the biblical standards we believed in, such as respecting authority, like you said, Matumba, respecting your elders. In when I stepped into church, everybody believed in the same. So that normalized the situation for yeah. the kids mm, to go, hey, yeah, so these people are not really, it's not just some, some stuff they're making up. Yeah, let's do that. So having a strong community of faith around me, cheering me on, I think my first experience with support from the church was when the kids were going to Calvary, somebody from church were going for a hard time and just turned up here some uniforms for the kids how they knew god just planned things here's a box of uniforms for the kids and then next minute uh, the kids could go to school for a period until we're financially stable so things like that that i know that i didn't ask for them i didn't earn them it was just out of somebody's kindness is something that i take very deeply and of course the various family that I now call family in Townsville, the Lunes and many other families that I now value as my community, where I've had to do this and they've stood in my place or they've just held space for me and afforded me the chance to do some things that I could have never done, be it looking after my children, be it facilitating this or that. So yeah, I cherish that. The community that I left home, well, that I thought I left home, it's here when I look at the different set of classes. It's still here. I just yeah. have to find it and look look under that skin and go, okay, fine. It's still here. It's somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so what hinged um, one of my propellers, well, I'll just go to the Bible for this one, which is one thing that I was, when I go through difficulties, like there's some times where you go like, you know what, nah, let's not just lie, let's not even lie, but this this is hard. Yeah. Yes, I'm a parent, but no, this is really tough. So what keeps me going, what keeps me in the boxing ring is when I read Isaiah 42, it says, um, Isaiah 42, 16. And I put my person, my name in there when I when I'm reading it to make sense. It says, Korah, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I do. So that just comforts me. And when I look back and I go, I'm 100% evidence that that will happen because I've been through some rough places, but not because I'm smart or... I've got whatever it takes. It was just because of God's grace. That's why I'm yeah. here, where I am. So whatever situation comes, I'll 
there is a bigger head that's taking me through that valley of darkness and I will go to the other side and I'll look back and I go oh yeah that happened to bring on another challenge yeah no I love well that yeah um so I guess the last question I've decided to split it into two parts what advice would you give parents in your situation and what advice or things do you wish like our generation the children of parents in your situation would understand mm-hmm. you take it <laughs> i think that's a that's a good one kutai uh maybe i'll make a start on that one i'll just have to say as a parent you are the leader you've got the authority but you have to accept as a parent that um culture is not static yeah. culture um, is always changing that even today if i were to go back to the village i grew up in i'll find some strange things that um seven year old boys are doing now that we were not doing then so whichever context you put yourself in or whichever um, environment you put yourself in culture is always evolving yeah so mm. moving from one culture to another then bringing your kids in a different culture we as parents we have a lot to accommodate yeah a lot to give in in order mm. to have an a workable relationship with kids mm. raising them up so true i i would say to me that's the pillar there where culture is always going to be fluid yeah if you always think the way you were brought up that's the way you should bring your kids up when you are in a different setting even if you were back in zimbabwe the way we were brought up to the way kids are being brought up in zim now is totally different that's right if if i were to look at um let's say music i love music i remember we used to make guitars from the <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but these days oh, you yeah. go back home you find uh, someone is on an iphone itunes that's right <laughs> we 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 with a uh... <laughs> making beats <laughs> making guitars <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a culture change as it so definitely we have to move along with that fluidity of culture and accepting to change some of the things that are changeable within that without so much diluting the the core values of uh, what i said earlier ubuntu our respect obedience and politeness warmth and yeah 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 and so for yeah. what would you want a child to understand about their parents having to parent them through something like this for a child i think it's very difficult for a child to see that because the children then will always be thinking oh my parent is always hard on me my parents is always um harsh my parent is always picks on me yeah uh huh so the child doesn't have another experience mm-hmm. you the parent has you you you've lived 
that experience in Zim, you've got this now. That's why I was saying you are the one who's got the authority yeah. and you are the one who's got room to maneuver. Mm. And uh, b- b- because the kid is doing what other kids are doing in the current That's context. right. They're just being a kid. They're, exactly. Mm, They're yeah. just being a kid. If anything I'd gi- advice I would give to a child in this context, it will be your parent means well. Yeah. They want the best out of you. Mm it may feel like they're picking on you or they pick on the slightest mistakes you're making and all that. But all that is being done in love. Yeah. Instead of mm. revolting, find a way of sitting down and dealing with things. But then kids being kids, that's, <laughs> a, that, that's a big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Auntie Cora? Yeah. Uh, can you give me the question again quickly so I can just re-answer? One more time. So what <laughs> advice would you give a parent in your situation having to raise a child in a culture different to the one they grew up in? And oh, then yeah. what advice yeah, would you give the child? I won't remember that question. Okay, Let we'll start with part one. Yeah. So, so part one to the parents, I'd say, remember you are a tour guide. Remember, you're a tour guide. You don't see everything on the way, on, on your tour. Remember yeah. the other people that are in the car. Very Take good. and pay attention to what they see. Step out of your shoes and put on their shoes and just listen without judgment, without... Uh, take off this hat that I know. I know it all. I, I know yeah. it all. It some sometimes assume, what if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong? Can I allow my children to make safe mistakes? Can I allow yeah. them to fail safely? If they don't make these mistakes now, so if I'm forever talking to my kids about, you must pay your bills, you must pay your bills. Am I expecting perfection out of them? Is perfection attainable? Can yeah. I step back and go, Let's leave that bill unpaid for a while and then see, because I'm parenting from my experience. Let me not take away those experiences from them. Leave them to not pay their bills. The phone will get cut and then we'll take it from there. And at the end of it all, when all hell has broken loose, let's try to remember as parents that our hearts were meant to dispense grace and not justice. We're not yeah. made, we're not just just dispensing machines like that's wrong, mm. that's right. Let's let's just try to look at everything out of love to go, okay, where's the love in here? What does Jesus want me to to see out of this situation? This opportunity is really big. Let me embrace it and learn from the children. So there's one quote from Maya Angelou who said I think it's in a book. I know the something something caged bird. Oh, the caged oh, yeah, bird yeah. sings. sings. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and then she says, You only are free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no yeah. place at all. So you don't belong, like you were saying, Mastimba, culture is not static, it moves. A chameleon doesn't have one color. It changes colors. A tour guide doesn't tour the same sports with the same crowd every day. 
the crowds move, the seasons change. So let's try and move with the changes as much as we can with wisdom and guidance. And let's see how, how we come out of this situation and remember to ask for help. I feel as if we are not as vulnerable in our community currently, because as parents, we never learned that. You can never teach what or practice what you never learned. So yeah. we almost don't know how to ask for help from other parents. And other parents almost also don't know how to help other parents without, yeah, I say this, but without judgment. If your child yeah. turns up turns out like this, is because you haven't done one, two, three, four. It feels like there should be a parenting recipe. You do this, then this is the outcome. You do this, then this is the outcome. And we all forget that all that children come with time. We all get different results at different times. All children are good children. There is no child that is a bad child. Yeah. All children are children. Let's love them where they are and meet them halfway. We've got a larger skill base to meet them halfway. They have bigger challenges as kids, which I would never imagine myself go through. So yeah, that's what I'll tell the parent. And then to the child, what would you hope they would understand about what their parents are going through? To the child, I would say like Masimba, their, their intention is good. It's coming from a good place. Understand your parents. If you can't understand your parents, find somebody else in the community who holds your parents' shut up and listen card. Somebody who can say to your parents when they're being unreasonable. So it might be somebody you've seen your parents have a good argument with and they're at different points of view. And that's the person who can pull up a card and go, hey, shut up and listen, I'm talking. Because sometimes <laughs> there's some arguments that you will, because it's an emotional state. You are emotional, your parent is emotional. You need somebody who is independent, yeah. who can take the film out of there. So if you can't link to mom or dad, find that other person and relate to them and see how best they can, they can assist. So this has to be a person who, of course, um, holds a place in your family, who your family trusts, who you trust as well. It's not going to be just some random Uncle Jim who comes to tell me how to raise my child up. I think so, yeah, and surround yourself with good friends, nature good relationships. Whatever you do, don't take them with an open hand. When you hold them, hold them close, not too tight, just, just close. Cherish your relationships. They're part of your family because when you grow up, fast forward in another 10, 15 years, they will be the aunties of your children. Your yeah. blood aunties and your blood aunties are not here. So travel with somebody. The journey is long. You can't do it on your own. You, you need somebody who shares the same problems, the same complexities with you. And mind you, you're mixing this well with the local culture. So we're not saying just have your heritage culture friends. No, have, uh, have a mix. And just remember that they will help you along the way and you will help them along the way too. And there's um, 
a scene in Lion King that I literally like. <laughs> Go on, tell I us. Keep, I keep watching it, and it was when Rafiki, the baboon Simba, was going through stuff, and he'd forgotten what was going on in his life. He didn't know who he was, and Rafiki's taken him to a stream, and he said, uh, you look inside yourself. That was when uh, Mufasa Padad was talking to Simba in an image while Simba was looking in the water at a mirror image of himself. So he said, look inside yourself. You are more than what you have become. So as children, you are more than what you have become. You might be going through a rough spot now, but you are more than that. You are bigger than that. And Mufasa goes on to say, you must take your place and get back into the circle of life. Remember who you are. Remember. So don't forget who you are. Yeah. You are a precious child who is dearly loved by their parents. Whether it looks like or it doesn't look like, remember who you are. Jump back into the circle of life and go through life and love life. Things are hard. Things are easy sometimes. It's not a flat thing. So that's all I'll say to them as a child. I like, I like. Mm, nice one. Um, I think from the perspective of a child, the best thing that, even though you guys might not be aware of it, is the fact that you all have such um, a close relationship. So not only within my own household do I look, let's say, and I see an amazing marriage but then I look to my parents friendships and I see amazing friendships but I also see amazing marriages there and then so it's like if I feel like I can't talk to mom and dad I can go talk to Auntie Cora and Uncle David or I can go talk to the Owatos or whoever it may be and I think that makes it easier because it's sort of like what you said where sometimes you may be the one who's in a position of authority but then they get to take that mm. place of being the auntie where it's like haha we laugh we joke but at the same time let's talk life like what mm. is this and so i think that's been really beautiful is the friendship that you guys have and how that has impacted us and our ability to um navigate life mm. <laughs> mm. and what would you tell what do you, is there any thing or things that you wish us as parents would know yeah, that you would love us to know to help us through our parenting journey i think it's probably the one that frustrates me the most in terms of like zimbabwean culture and that's the fact that people don't have conversations yeah and so i think where for me in our household the conversations were the norm even though it may have ended with i'm the parent and i said so the conversation, <laughs> the conversation was still had. Whereas I think um, parents have the tendency to just not have the conversation. They assume the child might understand or see their point of view. Or maybe it's just maybe mm. they themselves don't know why it is because they said so, but they just, just know that this is what it should be. Yeah, exactly. Like just because it is. And so I think having that openness and having the conversation is really important mm -hmm. even if they don't even if the child doesn't agree with you the point is that the conversation yeah. was had and so yeah. even if they look back they're like okay at least we had the conversation yeah. we may not have agreed but we had the conversation and you also okay. feel less um oh what's the word 
in as much as there's still authority you feel less dominated isn't that (laughs) maybe (laughs) like even if i don't get my own outcome i still feel less dominated because the conversation was had and i feel heard Mm. and you've been allowed to air your opinions yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. exactly Mm. and to your peers to my peers um, what would you love to learn as peers? That's something that you go, you know what, if there was only one way we could learn this, I think this will take us to a different place. I think choose your friendships wisely. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. Choose your friendships wisely. What is it saying? Walk with the wise and what? what? <laughs> Does this saying go? The wise walk with the wise. I don't know. Um, Having good friendships is so important because you, I don't think at any stage have I ever felt like I was outgrowing my friends or I wasn't in the same stage or we weren't walking through the same things. So we Mm. could talk to each other on like a horizontal level, but at the same time, we all had um, come from similar backgrounds and had similar points of view about where we wanted to be in the future so we could also keep each other level-headed in that sense and I never felt like I would look at my friends and be like oh my god how embarrassing that I associate myself with this person (laughs) or whatever the case may be so I think not just letting friendships happen to you but being intentional about picking good friends yeah very thanks a lot for that one Well, that concludes this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And we will see the people, hear the people next episode. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us.